My name is Stephen Blacksmith, and I am a psychopath. As a kid, I always wondered why I didn't laugh at the same things people laughed at, or, or why I never felt bad when a family member died. There was this distance I put between myself and my friends and family. I, I couldn't really connect on any sort of emotional level. And I lived that way for 20-some years before I finally figured out what was so different about me. With the help of therapists, a neuropsychologist, and just looking back at my own history, I discovered that I had psychopathy. It was a liberating experience. As I delved deeper into what it meant to be a psychopath, I embraced this darker side of me. I set out to talk with people about why they are the way they are, and just how much of our lives are ruled and molded by emotion and empathy. I realized that I could look at things without the hindrance of blind emotion. This thing, this psychopathy, isn't a burden to be hidden. This is a tool to be used to benefit my life. This is a dangerous weapon to combat oppression and fight neurotypical human failings. This is what makes the protector, and what makes the outlaw. This is that sexy kind of crazy. Okay, cool. Hey, what's up? How's Hi, it going? Hi, it's good. How are you? I'm doing just fine. Why don't good. you introduce yourself? I sure. know you, but sure. they might not. Yeah, yeah. So my name is Jessica Ali Corliss. I have several nicknames, but um, some people online know me as uh, Amber because my handle is sometimes on Instagram and other places. Mm-hmm. It's Hippie Amber. And then oh, yeah. at work, I go by my initials, which are Jack. So, Jack, mm-hmm, what? Mm-hmm. Okay. There's another Jessica on our on our team, oh, okay. so we kind of try to differentiate. Um, but now she's no longer there, so oh, good. But they still they still gonna call, call me Jack. that because it's a habit. Okay. So, um, but yeah, I am a licensed clinical social worker. I work cool. at UNM Hospital. So let's talk about why I have you here today. Sure. You're a social worker. Mm-hmm. A clinical yeah. social worker. Yeah. And I was looking up doing some research on social work. And, uh, yeah. Uh, so why don't you tell us what clinical social workers do? Sure. So um, I actually just recently became a clinical social worker. And what that entails is just taking, um, you have to have your master's degree in social work. Mm-hmm. And then you take a licensing test. Before that, though, you have to do about mm, 35 or 3,600 hours of supervised. So basically you have to work and then you have to have an hour a -hmm. week of either supervised time with a person who is already a licensed clinical social worker or you have to have group supervision with someone who's a licensed clinical social worker and then other social workers for two hours a week. Oh, okay. So either or. So I did that, took my test, studied really hard for it, passed, (laughs) Yeah. luckily, and now I'm a licensed clinical social worker. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And then it took me a while in school. I think I, it took me about eight years to get my bachelor's. So I actually have my bachelor's in sociology Mm -hmm. and, and then with an emphasis on social work and then I got my master's in social work. Cool. Okay. Yeah. So a lot of it, a lot of it is, um, kind of typical, like 
therapist mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Um, but the way that we differ from other fields that do therapy, like an MFT, a marriage family therapist, or a licensed, let's see, what else do they have in New Mexico? They have an LPCC, which is like a licensed professional counselor. Okay. Um, there's an LMHC, licensed mental health counselor. There's all kinds of stuff you could be you could be to do counseling or therapy. Weird. Yeah. Um, social work is different in that you can do so many different things with it. Mm-hmm. You can be like a case yeah. manager where you just do. So at the hospital where I work, there are a bunch of case managers and all mm-hmm. they do is discharge planning for people in the hospital. That's okay. It. And they help them with resources and to get insurance and things like that. Sure. Yeah. Um, so that's more of like you're not necessarily wanting to like do therapy or work directly with people. Okay. Um, and then, you know, there's my side of it. I'm a palliative care social worker. Ooh, what is that? So it's... <laughs> that's still um, have you heard of dinosaurs, right? <laughs> have you heard of paleo care? <laughs> that's, that's... I guess it's sort of somewhere. <laughs> uh, in some ways. Have you heard of hospice before? Yeah. So it's like one step before hospice. Okay. Um, so we see a lot of patients in the hospital that are either... That either have some sort of a chronic illness... Um, Something that is going to be affecting their entire life Mm -hmm. and or they've been in a serious trauma and they may never wake up again. They may never be the same again. Um, So we're there to like support the family to help them get through a difficult time. And if the patient is able to participate, we're there to support them Mm -hmm. because it's like a really hard process. And we can be there right when they're diagnosed with something Mm -hmm. like cancer or we can, you know, be there for a lot of families that like their loved one gets in a car accident, they sure. get a brain injury and they're in a coma and, we, okay. and they have to decide what to do next. So you do a lot of work with like the physical kind of ailments that mm-hmm. affect people. Cause I did mm-hmm. research that uh, a lot of, uh, you can do the clinical social work for mental mm-hmm. illness as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, I worked in um, several psych hospitals. I worked in like one, two, I worked in two. Mm-hmm. So I've worked in a psych hospital where there were, um, they did like adolescents and adults. Okay. And then I worked in a geriatric psych hospital where they had just strictly adults, but from the age 50 and above. Mm-hmm. So a lot of elderly people, mostly with like a lot of dementia, Alzheimer's, that kind of thing. Okay. But there were also other diagnoses like depression and bipolar and sure. all kinds of yeah. stuff. Yeah. And I was reading that uh, oftentimes a social worker would work in conjunction with a psychiatrist or someone mm-hmm. like to actually help with that diagnosis. Oh, so yeah. Did you do a lot of that, too? Oh, yeah. I, I did a lot of that. Um, I actually still do that quite a bit at the hospital just because we work alongside um, the psychiatry department. Mm-hmm. Um, so the service that I work on, the palliative care service, we're sure. a consulting service so we don't actually like have ownership of all of our patients we get consulted on all the patients okay and so we work with multiple different teams throughout the hospital cool Um, yeah and we work all throughout the entire hospital and so one of the services that we work closely with which is also a consulting services psychiatry Mm -hmm. so it sounds like a fun job at a hospital. It is. It's it's never boring. Um, it's rewarding. It's like, it's very, you feel like you're making a difference and you're getting your steps in. Super busy. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm walking all over that place. Um, 
Yeah. And then I worked closely with psychiatrists, like more closely when I worked in those two psych hospitals, mm-hmm. um, mostly because I was coming up with treatment plans for the patients and um, we would have to get the diagnosis from the psychiatrist sure, yeah. in order to figure out what the treatment plan was going forward and mm-hmm. to talk with the patient about how they're going to, what their goals are. Okay, cool. Yeah. And a lot of times... They were patients who had come in because they were either a danger to themselves or mm-hmm. others. You know, they had uh, threatened to commit suicide, had ideation about it, or had actually attempted mm-hmm. or had threatened to hurt someone else. Yeah, I was going to ask yeah. you about that. Yeah. yeah. Like, how much does that play that you might get, like, a, a more deviant patient that you would have to... Oh, I think it's rare, yeah. honestly. Um, I think it's much more common that you would have... We would have people that were, you know, that had either attempted or had ide- ideation about committing suicide. Yeah, probably, huh? Mm-hmm, much more common. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were the occasional patients that had threatened to, like... Especially now with all these shootings and things, I feel like I'm hearing more and more about people threatening to, like, shoot up a school yeah. or something and and then they they have to get taken into the hospital so yeah i imagine so Mm -hmm. and uh, working with adolescents that probably you know comes about quite a lot oh yeah Mm -hmm. i feel like i i feel like i encountered people who maybe maybe were not formally diagnosed Mm -hmm. as psychopaths but probably were yeah um or or were going to develop yeah well it's hard to nowadays to have any sort of diagnosis as a psychopath yeah Uh, it's not even in the dsm you can't even right 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 and and you know the way that i know of it or the way that i'm familiar with it is 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 only one small facet of it which is like how it's associated with antisocial personality disorder um and then you know i've also heard that it's sometimes also associated with narcissistic personality disorders so like mm-hmm. sometimes the, the personality disorders is how i'm yeah i'm familiar I, with it i would guess that when you're especially dealing with adolescence antisocial personality disorder is probably like one of the tops yeah in, yeah which... actually i i think um i think antisocial personality disorder often kind of manifests more in adulthood and so mm-hmm. we were often looking at like kids that had conduct disorder or op- oppositional defiant disorder and mm-hmm. then if they had those sometimes it could develop into you know antisocial yeah. personality disorder all that yeah. fun stuff yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so it, it's really interesting to me so how do you even, uh, i know you don't work with like directly with like the foster care kind of point of mm-hmm. um i did though i have did. worked in foster care. oh cool okay mm-hmm. yeah uh so how does it go with homing a kid who kind of has those tendencies might be on that kind of spectrum oh my gosh yeah that's that's a great question um oh i i think that um the foster care system is terrible to be honest and i <laughs> worked what for, we hear yeah. yeah and i've worked for actually a private foster care agency which mm-hmm is a little different than working for like the county. So I feel like what I saw was probably a little bit better than like if you were a county worker yeah. and you had to place people. But gosh, the things that I saw, I mean, I just felt so bad for all the kids, um, more so than the parents, oh, yeah. foster parents, because 
uh, I just felt like these kids were treated, all of the kids, no matter what, they could be like the most obedient child. The sweetest little tiny Tim with one leg. Yeah. And And they would get just passed around like they were objects and it's terrible yeah and like you know they would do one thing sometimes it wasn't even the kids that would do things wrong it was their biological parents that would like harass the foster parents and then the kid would be like the the foster parents would be like i have had it up to here i can't take it anymore i can't take this harassment so i just don't want this kid anymore yeah because it's too much trouble Mm -hmm. and you know i sort of get it but at the same time it's like how hard is it for that kid to be just like passed around yeah to home to home and it's just it's really rough so i think i think no matter what the the kid was like there was always there were always foster parents that were in it to actually help yeah and then there were always foster parents that were in it only for for money yeah because i was wondering like what is even the qualification to become a foster parent Oh, actually, it's it's a crazy process. You really, really have to do like background checks mm-hmm. and you have to go through this really long training process and okay. you have to you have to really prove that you can do it um, both financially and, you know, mentally and emotionally and all that stuff. Sure. So it does take a lot to become a foster parent, but I think that a lot of people are good at maybe faking it. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not really sure. Um, cause, cause there were a lot of times where I questioned why people were yeah. able to foster kids. Um, man, you know? we should have done a whole segment on like, I know, charming, I know. <laughs> yeah, like into the system, you know? Yeah. And then like, you know, the kids with disabilities, you get more money for them. So yeah. like there were certain foster parents that would take specifically take kids with disabilities, mm-hmm. but then like they need more help and they need more like nurturing and yeah. the parents would just like foster parents would just sit them in front of the tv all day and like Ooh, call it good. a day yeah yeah so uh, well especially if we're talking about like there's a big debate with psychopaths on nature versus nurture right um on what well, if that creates a violent psychopath or not yeah and so if they went into a bad foster home and they're already you know a bit problematic or yeah. on that path then maybe that might mold someone into more deviance than they would normally be. Definitely. I think that's, I think that, um, personally, I think that nurture plays a bigger role than nature does. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think they both come into play. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But I definitely think you are a product of your environment. And Mm -hmm. I think that people, you know, based on how they were raised, if, if they experience things like that all the time, and they don't have a good role model in their life mm-hmm. that can maybe steer them in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. They're, they're kind of screwed, you know? I yeah. mean, even not even for psychopaths. I mean, the yeah, sociologist anybody. in you would know, like, uh, we're products of every single interaction we've had with yep. anyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, of course, you know, anyone mm-hmm. can do it. Uh, you can get violent people out of bad foster homes that aren't psychopathic. Yeah, yeah, so. definitely. I think that it's... It's really all about how you were raised and also just like there was a study done specifically with foster kids that talked about how if you if the foster child had just one positive role model, it could have been anyone, it could have been a mm-hmm. teacher in school, anybody. Sure. Um, if they had that person consistently in their life, that they were more likely to be resilient and they were more likely to actually wow. succeed in life and like not have all these problems. 
and that's all that they really needed you know but a lot of people just don't have that yeah. at all so well not to make everyone sad here but we all need a little robin williams as a teacher uh heck yeah <laughs> god i wish he was my teacher right amazing yeah oh, captain my captain well yeah. that was all an all boys school yeah so that's yeah. unfortunate yeah that's true but still <laughs> Uh, I was re- in my research. I was just um, googling random words together to try and figure out anything. Yeah, and um, I came across this one blog, and it said, uh, uh, "My uh, social worker is a psychopath." And I was like, "That's kind of interesting." Mm-hmm. The, the, mm-hmm. the blog post was kind of bullshit. It was like, "Oh, he got angry a little bit." But uh, yeah, that's dumb. But uh, it also goes back to like, how much power does a social worker really have in certain situations over a person? Um, And then is could a psychopath be drawn to that kind of power? Of course, they're always drawn to power in some aspect of their life. Right. Um, But I, I wonder if. Uh, because we know that psychopaths uh, tend to gravitate, well, the like super intelligent ones tend to gravitate towards like being uh, doctors and surgeons and CEOs right. and things yeah. like that, where they do have power over someone. Right. Um, so I'm wondering uh, how many people could possibly go into the field of social work um, for that. And I'm thinking that it's not as many because... No, uh, yeah. I, I, you know what? I... So that's that's a really good question. <laughs> I think that uh, you, in certain particular jobs in social work, you could have some level of power. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know how much, though. I, I have to say I think social workers in general in society feel pretty powerless. Okay. Though we are often trying to, as a field, trying to advocate for people. That's kind of like one of our main tenets of our code of conduct and Mm -hmm. that kind of things to be an advocate for basically for people who are voiceless, like minorities and um, people who are marginalized. So any marginalized group really. Cool. So I think that um, that part of social work in particular takes a lot of empathy. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I also think that like, yeah, we just don't have a lot of power in general in, in yeah. society because um, we the only thing that I, I think we we tend to have some power over is to like file file a report like a child abuse report or mm-hmm. an adult protective services report to try and get someone out of a bad situation. Sure. Yeah. You know, and and we can also get a um, I think it's a particular type of certification that you have to go through in order to be able to hospitalize people Mm -hmm. so if like someone tells you that they are suicidal you can you can hospitalize them interesting okay Mm -hmm. yeah Hmm. so in those ways sure you have some power if if you're in a position where you diagnose people that's another way that you would have power as a social worker Mm -hmm. just because i mean diagnosing is labeling yeah and once you put a label on someone, that's there for life. Yeah. And that 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 does hold a lot of power, mm-hmm. um, especially if you're just starting out and you, you're not sure, but you still, you know, put put a diagnosis down that you're not sure about. That's, yeah. That's not good. Okay. Cool. Yeah. We, we often talk a lot about, like, in classes, how you should be really careful not to label people 
because you can't just go around calling everyone crazy. Right. Yeah. It's going to stick with them. And not only that, but you, you have to have this fine balance between in order for insurance companies to actually pay you for your services, (laughs) you have to diagnose people. Oh, really? Okay. Well, that's weird. So often social workers will put like adjustment disorder because it's like the most, the least stigmatizing diagnosis and everyone will have adjustment disorder in their life. Okay. Because we all have to adjust to life circumstances. That's like, it's real, but (laughs) it's like, it's one of those things that it's like kind of like a filler, you know, because it's like, we don't want to label people. Because reading about like, um, the different versions of the DSM and how the first one was like 80 pages, you know, and then now this one's what, like 600. And yeah. And things have changed so much. I mean, you know, yeah, but there there seems to just be like disorder. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. It's, it's kind of nuts. Yeah. And also just, just to know that it's like, it's so different now than it, it used to be like, uh, Asperger's is not a thing anymore. It's not, it's not a diagnosis anymore. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. They've changed oh. it. So now you're just on the autism spectrum. There's no, there's no Asperger's anymore. It's just that's interesting. What level of, on the spectrum are you? But I thought it was like different than autism or like it close, is. But it is. It's way more high functioning. Yeah. Okay. But, but now you're just a high functioning autistic person. Oh, that's so interesting. Mm-hmm. And. Yeah. uh uh, maybe that's also one of the factors keeping psychopathy out of the DSM too, because it's so closely in line with high functioning autism as well. Yeah, yeah, so. actually, that's that's really true. I I've always kind of thought that that Asperger's in general mm-hmm. is kind of like closely related to that. So yeah, yeah. I could yeah. see that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, uh, my future cousin in law. Yeah, it has Asperger's, so it's like, wow, we're, we're really similar in some ways, yeah. really different in other ways. Yeah, yeah, um, definitely. It's yeah. it's easy for me to see the, the similarities um, between those two spectrums, kind of, so, yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as a social worker, so you say you've come across um, people you think that have possibly had psychopathy in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you yeah. dealt with a lot of like deviant diagnoses or so you don't come across those very sure. often? Yeah. Um, I have, I don't know that I've come across a lot of people that were actually diagnosed with mm-hmm. anything like psych- psychopathy, but I think that I've come across a lot of teenagers that were mm-hmm. deviant. And what do you typically do when they're like the violent ones? Mm-hmm. What, what do you guys typically mark that as yeah it's really hard because i think uh like we were talking about earlier it's such a product of people's environment and um if they're if they're hospitalized for a couple weeks but then they go right back to the environment they were in where oh yeah there's all this bad stuff happening nothing's gonna change yeah that's the thing i mean you can medicate someone and Mm -hmm. it only goes so far i mean i think medication is a good thing in general but i think that it has to the way that our society views medication is like it's a quick fix for everything and mm-hmm. you don't have to do any work to get over things and yeah. i think that that's just not the way things happen that's just not the way you get over something sure like you have to actually work hard and go to counseling in order to deal with issues that you have 
And I don't think you can just take a pill and expect that it'll all go away. Okay. So I think that's part of the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think, yeah, the environment thing is huge. Like, how are we going to treat people and then send them right back to their terrible yeah. environment, their terrible circumstances? So how do you guys rectify that? Oh, I feel like we would... Or it if it's would, it would depend on if... Yeah, sometimes it's not. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's not because... What do you do if, if there's no if there's no evidence of abuse? Yeah, we already know how hard it is to prove any sort of domestic abuse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and child be, abuse yeah. too. You got to be doing it in front of a police officer. Right, there while has to be marks. Yeah, and um, emotional abuse is not really considered something that you can like arrest someone for or mm-hmm. remove the child from those circumstances. So what do you do you know you you tell the try to teach people how to cope mm-hmm. um in a good in a healthy way with their circumstances and when they're old enough to leave to leave those circumstances but yeah what can you do if the kids just in a bad environment and they can't escape it you know and they have to go back do you it's ever, really hard do you ever get the chance to like have a whole family once you're, if you're just doing like the kid and they're mm-hmm. like, oh, he has some problems. And then, yeah, actually, I, so when I worked in the first psych hospital that I worked in, mm-hmm. I used to do group, family, and individual therapy, mostly okay. group therapy though. But, uh, yeah, I, I did, I did have a lot of experiences where the family would come in and I would do like a family session. And a lot of times, a lot of things came out, but the, <clears throat> the problem with being in a psych hospital is that it's all brief oriented. So mm-hmm. you only get like one session with the family. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and then because usually people are only hospitalized for a short period of time, like between a week and two weeks. Okay. So, so it's, you know, it's one of those things where one of my supervisors used to tell me like, you can, you can plant a seed and you won't see it grow, Okay. but at least you've planted a seed that yeah. hopefully will help people in the future. So that's kind of like the problem with being in a psych hospital is you really, I mean, you go there when you're in a crisis, Mm -hmm. you have to do all these groups and you have to do like group therapy, like multiple times a day, Mm -hmm. um, and take your meds and you get to go outside and take breaks and, but you're kind of like immersed in this environment where you're with all these other people who have problems too, Yeah, which can be a good and a bad thing, Mm -hmm. you know, but yeah, I I think I think with all the people that I that I saw through the years that had like maybe deviance or um you know, they seemed like maybe they were violent. It was it was all seemed like a product of their environment for sure. Oh wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. Yeah, yeah. And it must be hard as well for getting those parents to change in mm-hmm. that because like you said uh you know you get help when you're in a crisis mm-hmm. and the kids are the ones in the crisis at mm-hmm. this point mm-hmm. the the adults just go there and they're like well i can leave today and nothing's mm-hmm. going to be affecting me directly no right. no pressure is going to be on me mm-hmm. i have to realize that i'm the problem and then change mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so uh yeah that could be pretty rough yeah and i i think the thing with adults who maybe have you know, or maybe are have some some version of, of psychopathy. I think it's really hard to when you're an adult. It's really hard to work on things and to change who you are because mm-hmm. you. 
everything about yourself has been so deeply ingrained in you yeah for so long and you're just this it's just a habit and so i think that uh if you if you wanted to change that i i don't know how you could definitely work on it but i i think (laughs) i think um it's not until you're in trouble and you get a social worker of your own yeah i mean i just think like you really have to with anything any diagnosis you have to want to work on it and you Mm -hmm. have to like actively want to change it because if you don't nothing's going to change um so i think it's, it's interesting because the way that i've always been taught that um, specifically that like antisocial personality disorder mm-hmm. is dealt with is that like there's no way to treat it yeah like there's no cure like there's no one treatment that mm-hmm. can help um, yeah. that you're kind of just like that forever and <laughs> may or may not change you know yeah um, that's always a tough one yeah yeah it's very interesting mm-hmm. uh but it, it very, I don't know. very wide too. Like a lot of people have it. So, I mean, it's not like the yeah. worst thing in the world. No, you know? no. I think there are worse things. And I also think like, like anything else, it's a spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are probably a lot of, there's some people over here that are, that maybe do like violent things. Yeah. And there are people over here that use it to maybe just be successful in their job. Yeah. Like be true. a CEO or something. Mm-hmm. So... I think there's a spectrum to most most diagnoses and oh, things, good. problems, <laughs> issues. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think we got to normalize all these things because there's such a stigma towards oh, yeah. all of this stuff. Very and, real. Yeah. And a majority of people in society have some sort of disorder, mm-hmm. mental health issue. Yeah. And the know. words, you know, definitely, you know, saying those words are... Uh, not helping anything when you're just doing it on a broad spectrum. Like, right. uh, I don't know if you listen to My Favorite Murder. Yeah. Yeah, I love them, but yeah. everyone's a psychopath yeah. immediately to them. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, I mean. I shouldn't I, use the word crazy. Sorry. <laughs> and, and, and if you think about it, I mean, there are so many statistics showing that most murders are committed by people that know you. Mm-hmm. Like, so, so that to me is really interesting yeah. because what does that show? Exactly. Um, They're very emotional crimes too. Yeah, you know, it's like a crime of passion. It's in the moment. Oh, uh, he's cheating on me. I'm gonna kill him. Or you right, know. right. Um, yeah. I mean, the only the only person that I can think of in in my life that I've known that could have been possibly a psychopath. <laughs> he probably was. Yeah. Um, it was my my first boyfriend that I ever had when I was 16. Oh well. Okay. He, yeah, he was he was very abusive. Ooh. Um, and yeah, I, now looking back, I'm like, hmm, probably he probably was. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know that. And and he did become violent. Actually, he not with me, thankfully, but with a future his actually future wife. He oh wow. He became yeah. like a domestic violence, like a domestic abuser. And that's terrible. Was, yeah, yeah, it's really really bad. And she was actually like legally blind so he really took advantage of that situation oh my god yeah they had a bunch of kids he like did the Mm -hmm. typical like domestic violence thing where he isolated her from like all her family like moved her to a different state and then okay yeah and they had kids and then of course he was like abusing her really badly and then hurting the kids and then at that point she was like no more oh that's not good yeah, yeah yeah and he i think he went into the military and 
So I don't know. I think I think he could have possibly been, but well, I don't know. Well, at least the kids have a less chance of being a, a serial killer yeah. because uh, uh, typically the psychopath genes are mostly passed over from the the uh, mother's side. Ah, so that's pretty cool. I did not know that. At that's... least some research suggests. I don't want to say that. Yeah. Uh, James Fallon's book says it. Um, that's so fascinating. So blame him if it's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so how did you find out that you were that you are a psychopath? How oh, did you... it was a long and beautiful <laughs> process. Okay. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, basically, I um, always felt weirdly different. Mm-hmm. Like nothing ever affected me. Okay. Okay. Uh, and then. Probably the only thing I enjoyed was comedy, uh, probably when I was like 16, which okay. is a typical kind of thing because it affected other people. It was like ah. comedic manipulation of other people's feelings, right. which is kind of fun. Uh, and then, of course, I was like a huge manipulator when I was like 16 to like 20 something, 21 or something. Okay. okay. Um, just constantly lying and all that stuff. Yeah. And I didn't think of anything of it until yeah. um, I had a massive panic disorder huh. way back in the day. Okay. Um, probably when I was like 24. Okay. 23, 24. And for like two years, I was just uh, crippling anxiety. Just yeah. no real reason why. Yeah. And uh, so then I started seeing a therapist and it, it mm-hmm. actually um, kind of came about. I did all this research. I was like, oh, well, this hmm. is this is great. I saw some neuro uh, psycho- psychologists. Uh, and then more therapists and all that stuff kind of came to this realization that huh. uh, that's kind of why. Okay. And um, I didn't think anything about the panic disorder right. until I read, uh, I think it was uh, The Wisdom of Psychopaths or I think it was James Fallon's book, actually, uh, which is The Accidental Psychopath, I think. Okay. Um, where he's talking about this research where a lot of psychopaths in their early 20s have these massive kind of panic disorders. Huh. So it was very interesting. Fascinating. Um, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Pretty cool. So do you feel like, because when I when I think about you as a person mm-hmm. and just get just having known you for like some years maybe, yep. um, not like super, super well, but like just kind of on the surface knowing yep. knowing an impression of you, it's it's hard for me to think of you as like I wouldn't have thought that about you you know yeah, what i mean it's super and i and weird. i never yeah. want to like assume anything about anyone or label people sure I think yeah it's really harmful but no, except your um, first boyfriend i want to label him as an asshole i oh he for sure <laughs> he he fits that label for sure but um yeah. yeah i think that like i just wouldn't have thought that about you just from knowing yeah you i briefly. was much different in my uh, like early 20s, late teens, okay. uh, where I was very much like kind of um, either someone could, which is a very uh, common uh, trait, I would say, of a mm. psychopath where someone could look at you and be instantly like drawn in or right. the kind of the ones that are kind of in the know sense something about you that's maybe darker or manipulative or like, I don't want to sure. deal with that. Sure. And, um, I think I've more both mellowed out mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. a person yeah. in my uh, probably late 20s. Now I'm 30. Yeah. And um, I have definitely like desensitized, gone full like kind of psychopath then. Yeah. So it's, it's weird. Once you embrace it more, you become a little bit more 
humanized i think too yeah yeah Yeah. because i I can see that about you um and i'm i'm wondering like did you do you feel like for you it was like nurture or do you think that no because that's the weird thing like uh and i was reading a lot you read in every psychopath book about nature versus nurture right and um it's very odd. My grandpa, who I think is like a, a psychopath too, mm-hmm. is where I got mm-hmm. a lot of these traits from. Yeah. Um, my mom's dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was like an alcoholic, kind of abusive uh, psychopath. Okay. And he still is not yeah. not abusive or an alcoholic, but like he's still like stone cold. I, I know you're a psychopath. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, well, I guess the sexualized psychopath is what, who he is. He's always with some 20 year old whatever sure. like 70 yeah uh, <laughs> but um i think it's weird because in my household i was abused i was uh, verbally and physically abused by my dad mm. and i'm like why am i not a serial killer don't get me mm-hmm. wrong if it was like mad max world i would kill everyone who cut me off right. in traffic right but like i just logically know better yeah and uh i just everything I'm, I'm a cool psychopath where it's like i don't care about anything yeah you know i've never been an angry guy i've never been a depressed guy or like overly elated guy yeah so when you know the prospect of any sort of deviance or anything like comes up to me i'm just like i don't care you know yeah. i'll just go i'll have a coke you yeah. know i don't need to do that well that's, <laughs> that's good coping i mean i'm, I'm glad yeah. that you see it that way do you think that, and I'm, and by the way, I'm really sorry that that happened to you. Oh, Because that cool. sucks. <laughs> um, <laughs> when you're a psychopath, that doesn't really matter. I mean, yeah, but still, it, you know, it, it's something that should never happen. Yeah, it absolutely should. Um, and at, so my other question was going to be, because you deal, you've dealt with this mm-hmm. so well, do you think that's because, like, you've had a lot of positive role models growing, like, growing up or do you feel like you had one person that kind of was there for you or Uh, not really i think my mom worked a lot Mm -hmm. you know i didn't see her a whole lot when i was growing up probably until my like mid-teens okay she started i started seeing her a lot more Mm -hmm. uh and then my family was we're all horribly distant okay like even in if we lived in the same house like we wouldn't talk to each other hang out with each other Mm -hmm. just doesn't even matter Hmm. and i think um that's probably why i was able to blow off like the abuse and all that stuff is because i don't care about anything yeah like literally i think the world is chaos and i've always thought that nothing mattered really much not in like a nihilistic way yeah but i think that's the only reason why i didn't get the nature versus nurture thing like sure in yeah. any sort of way. Well, I guess that would be more nature. Um, more but, nature than nature. Yeah. But also it does sound like you did have a component of like mm-hmm. a violent or like just tumultuous environment at home because yeah. you were kind of abused. So Yeah. So that sounds that sounds like it was both contributing. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. It's also a really interesting case. I'd like to bring up to somebody at some point, like, suck it guys. Yeah. It is not so much nurture. Yeah. 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 Because like you said, you feel like you kind of like just didn't really care about the relationships in your family weren't like mm-hmm. super close to the point where you oh, yeah. cared a lot about what your parents thought or what yeah. they did. Um, it's really funny because my I'm I'm Mexican and Italian and those mm-hmm. two cultures family is like everything. It means yeah. so much. And um 
you know, I, I had a really good childhood. I had I have parents who are also both social workers. So, mm-hmm. um, but they're not perfect. They have some issues, you know. And um, but they were overall very good parents to me. So, oh, good. And I think they're just like cool, nice people. So, what drew you into social work? Was it just you saw was, them doing it? It was yeah, I saw them doing it, and then also I think part of it was my experience being like pretty much abused when I was in my first relationship Mm -hmm. and then, you know, having a lot of empathy and wanting to help people that sure that didn't feel like they could help themselves. So, okay. Yeah. So if you didn't have the empathy, but you still like wanted the, you still were affected by the abuse. Do you mm-hmm. think you would have become a bounty hunter? <laughs> oh, maybe. <laughs> I can see that. If I if 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 my sole job was to like, you know, just hunt down domestic abusers, then yeah. sure. That would yeah. be so cool. Yeah, I'd be like atomic blonde and like just <laughs> yeah, just kick ass all day. Might as well. Yeah. Someone's got to do that. Just collect like all the all the money that they have to pay. You know, they have to like mm-hmm. pay. A certain amount of reparation money yeah sometimes they pay it to like um like a domestic violence shelter or something Ooh, nice so i would yeah. just go around like kicking ass and collecting money that's a series charity. right there <laughs> I'll get that on riding great. That pilot. yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so, so uh, why didn't you pursue sociology more um i think i i think i was really interested in like the actual like clinical work like being a therapist oh and, cool okay and just like actually helping people through their through their problems sure and, yeah um you you can do that on a bigger level as a sociologist but i think it's uh it's a lot more research intensive which yeah. i'm not so into like data yeah and gross yeah it's kind statistics. of statistics like like collecting data oh i'm, I'm yeah. into like I, i'm into like you know reading research and like yeah you know i i i liked making a research project when i had to do a thesis for my <laughs> master's like sure. I, I enjoyed like coming up with a topic oh what was your topic it was i think it was actually like depression and was something very simple just like depression and like cognitive behavioral therapy and how how it works to help people with depression oh, cool okay um and it's it's one of the most common it's one of the most effective forms of treatment um, sure. therapeutic treatment for people that have depression so that's pretty cool mm-hmm. yeah okay. so i think that um you know i i, I didn't go into it because of the research aspect because it feels like that would have been pretty daunting. Yeah, um, it's a bit rough. I know I was yeah. looking into uh, a degree in sociology. I mean, mm-hmm. I pretty much have my associates in sociology. So I was like, cool. that whole research part of it, I don't want to do any yeah. of that. Oh, yeah. yeah, no, research is not not my strong suit, I think. <laughs> yeah, um, like I, I had to take a bunch of stats classes all through college. And oh, God. They're really tough. I had to take one stats class. I got a C. I hated it. Tough, right? I had to. I had to have a. So I took like I took maybe four stats classes. Yeah. Throughout my um, my you know college and graduate school education, Mm -hmm. and yeah, they were all really tough. (laughs) I had to like for several of them, I had to have a tutor, and okay, um, it was really hard. 
So I just, I figured if, if that's what I'm going to have to be doing for sociology research, I don't really think I can manage <laughs> no, doing that thank you. as a full-time job. <laughs> there are really fascinating parts of sociology, though, that I kind of think back on and I'm like, ooh, that would have been cool. Uh-huh. I had some professors that did like ethnographies where they actually like went and stayed with different cultures and like immerse themselves in the culture and Mm -hmm. um i had one professor that went to uh well i think it's now called myanmar right it's not burma anymore yeah but he went to myanmar and he stayed with the rebels oh cool okay and like kind of immersed himself in that culture Mm -hmm. and everything and that was part of his like research there wow that's cool yeah Yeah, i do that yeah Mm -hmm. that sounds really cool so like things like that i think they're awesome. Obviously, you'd have to be okay with like putting yourself in a dangerous, oh sure, yeah, possibly life-threatening mm-hmm. situation. Ooh, uh, also speaking of, uh, well, this is probably a kind of far stretch from ethnography. But, yeah. Uh, do social workers ever work with uh, immigrants or refugees that come in here? And oh yeah, um, the thing about social workers is we work with almost every single population. I mean, it's kind of crazy because we can work with. We can work in the prison system. Mm-hmm. We can work at schools. We can work in a, in hospitals, in psych hospitals. I mean, anywhere really, you name it. We, you know, there are even social workers that consult for like shows, like TV shows, like sure. Mad Men. There was a social worker that consulted on oh, that nice. show. Oh, nice, yeah. Yeah, and so it's pretty fascinating all the things that you can do. Um, and I do think that social workers actually are helping a lot with this whole immigration kind of crisis that we're in at mm-hmm. the moment. But um, I've personally worked with a lot of people who were undocumented at the mm-hmm. hospital. Um, I, I've worked with a lot of refugees. Um, there are a lot of like refugee organizations mm-hmm. that help people specifically with resources and stuff. Um, so I think those, I think any kind of community project or organization mm-hmm. can be a good resource um, and a lot of times social workers will connect people with those kinds of organizations. Sure. Um, we can also help them like to actually set up like a GoFundMe page so that they can have, yeah. they can try to get some, well, some that's funding. just the wave of the future. It's like yeah. any medical bill yeah. nowadays, GoFundMe. Yeah, fund we me. can help them get insurance, like mm-hmm. sign up with insurance if, if they are eligible for it. Cool. Um, yeah, so I think... Social workers are like the ultimate like resource providers. You know, we like we know how to get a hold of all the resources. That's pretty that cool. are out there. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Well, I want to talk about one more thing um, yeah. before we get into your test. Yeah. Which we'll talk more about the test in yeah, a second. Yeah, it's super interesting. Um, now this is going to help me when I get Santiago Romero in here. We're going to cool. talk about this book called The Psychopath Test. Cool. Um, and in the psychopath test, uh, the author, um, what the, whatever his name is, Ronson, mm-hmm. he was talking in Canada, they have these kind of psychiatric hospitals mm-hmm. that double as these kind of pseudo jails where they had this person in there that because the doctors in there and the workers were labeling him a psychopath, they were able to hold him indefinitely. They could hold him for the rest of his life if they wanted to. Wow. Uh, and he was a psychopath. He yeah. was always in denial that he wasn't but right. he definitely was right um now, like with violent tendencies or not yeah he was in there because he almost beat a man to death okay 
Okay. Yeah. And, uh, right. you know, he was playing it off like it was just a one-time thing, you know, mm. um, no history of aggression, things like right. that. But it was more of his personality that they could see that he was a psychopath. Sure. Um, but what yeah. do you think about that? Well, I mean, I don't think we have anything in America that can do like an indefinite hold like a prisoner, right? Oh, not for... Well, I mean, I guess you... I guess you could just have like a life sentence, you know, and yeah, that's you could have a life sentence yeah like in a real and, jail and in like an actual psych ward mm-hmm. you know like there's institutions that have people that are held for sometimes life sentences yeah but they've ple- pled insanity and then they have a certain number of years that they have to stay there mm-hmm. um oh that's it's so hard because i i'm a person that i feel has like total a lot of empathy towards people in general Mm -hmm. um and so it's hard for me to just and i think our um system here in the united states is like atrocious we have like this terrible prison industrial complex and um school to prison pipeline and i could go on for days about how bad everything is here with the prison system um and i think that um mental health is also like the treatment for mental health here is also terrible so like Mm -hmm. i think that the way a lot of people um get their mental health treatment is by going to jail yeah and Mm -hmm. and and i think that probably most people who are in jail either develop some sort of mental health disorder while they're there Mm -hmm. or they go in there because they have a mental health problem that gets them into trouble and then they go to jail Mm mm-hmm and then they go to prison. So I think it's like kind of this revolving door. Oh, yeah. Um, Especially with like our solitary system. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. And you can develop so many psychological problems from that. Yeah. It's so damaging. Um, I, I So I think that putting people in prison is not necessarily helpful. Well, what would you think is like, I know it's kind of a big question, but yeah. like the overall way you can see our mental health systems reforming Mm -hmm. i I think that um right now the way that we do things as a country is kind of like the medical model is everything's based off the medical model of Mm -hmm. like you know you 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 get treatment and and then you take a pill and then everything is better right yeah that's not really the way things work um i think i think we should rehabilitate more people i think that that's the way that things should work um and i think we should offer i think we should get more people to like have jobs in the field that i'm in or in Mm -hmm. counseling fields and then and then you know really incentivize it so that people can have access have more access to mental health services great yeah and then i think there should be instead of having all these prisons there Mm -hmm. should be more rehab centers yeah you know where we you know there are a lot of rehab centers that are very um they have this like integrative approach where people who are like schizophrenic for example will go they'll do like a day treatment program they'll go to their group therapy Mm -hmm. they'll take their medication they'll do like some kind of holistic thing that helps them cope like they'll go to a job for a little while they'll go go on a walk Mm -hmm. you know that kind of a thing and i think 
um, that they also have rehab centers like that for people who are disabled, like developmentally delayed. Sure. Yeah. I think if we had programs like that for all mental health issues, mm-hmm. instead of just like pick and choose which ones, I think that would be ideal. Cool. Yeah. Like, could you see that working or maybe some other variation of that? with uh someone who's been in prison but has been diagnosed as uh, someone with a personality disorder with violent tendencies i think i think that it um it's hard to know because i don't know if there have actually been programs where like this has been studied and it's been yeah. shown to work mm-hmm. um it's like what do you try when you don't know right anything? right and so i think there's a potential to treat and and try to kind of help people Mm. who have personality disorders um and there's always new research there's always new studies coming out there's people trying all kinds of different things um you know there's like for example like the the um this movement of using psychedelic yeah yeah microdosing yeah microdosing yep so that kind of a thing. Um, <laughs> Do you believe that's uh, got God, some potential? I, I think we should try everything to try and help people, and I yeah. think it, it's sometimes worth you try trying. it after ordering a pizza. Maybe <laughs> a, you put up on Guardians of the Galaxy well, too. I mean, well, you know, like certain other drugs have really helped people, like like marijuana, CBD, yeah. like it's, and people microdose marijuana. Yeah. yeah and, and it uh, really helps people with a yeah. lot of different things. And so I think that like we should, if all these things are worth trying. Absolutely. And I think we should study this more to try and actually, because I think the, the mindset that like, Oh, we're never going to cure these people. We're never going to change mm-hmm. them. So let's just lock them all up and get yeah. them, get them out, uh, away from everybody else. So they don't Absolutely. hurt people. While I understand that and wanting to be safe and wanting to protect everyone else, we have to try and rehabilitate people. Mm-hmm. We have to try and see if there's a way to, to treat this because that's that just seems kind of inhumane yeah. to try and to just lock everyone away that has problems that you don't think you can treat exactly. just because there's no known cure yet. Or I mean, throw them on the streets. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. it's kind of it's kind of like if you have a cancer that can't be treated and you go on hospice, right? You mm-hmm. you stop you stop treating it, and you just kind of like throw your hands up and say, "It's time to time for yeah. me to die." Yeah, you know, like or or at least time for me to stop this treatment because it's like really bad, and yeah. really hard. Um, It'll make you comfortable, but right, right. That's it. So, I think it's I think it's. It's different than that because I think that we, um, well, with big pharma, I think that they have, <laughs> probably have a lot of things that cures that we don't know about. Yeah. But um, I think with this, it's like you have to try first. We can't just throw our hands up and say, like, put them in prison. Yeah, absolutely. I think we should probably clarify with microdosing stuff like marijuana yeah. uh, that it should only really be a trial in adults, I think. Oh, yeah. yeah. Not in kids. Oh, no. no. I no. mean, there's been a ton of research to suggest that uh, mm-hmm. mental health disorders are actually uh, worsened what, right. during adolescence if you smoke weed, and which I smoked a lot of weed when I was 16, 17, yeah. so yeah. I don't know 
what that did to me. Right. You know, right. your brain's still growing till you're about 25 in males, I believe. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, I think that um, all these things. Yeah. You should be an adult before we try these things. But <laughs> and I also think we should we should probably have consent, you know, like to do yeah. these things. Like that's just kind of like a humane thing to mm-hmm. to actually ask people if they they want treatment oh yeah if we learned anything from tuskegee yeah uh don't give people syphilis no uh, god no and don't <laughs> <laughs> don't just like treat people like they're test subjects because i think that that could be dangerous too but i also think that um if there are people that are willing to try things it's worth trying to, mm. to rehabilitate someone versus just imprisoning them for life so absolutely yeah that's that's my take on it awesome yeah cool well let's stop putting this off and stop hitting the mics that sounded (laughs) weird um so we have this thing called the levinson self-report psychopathy scale uh developed by some guy named levinson 95 okay Okay. um so i had you take it online Mm -hmm. it should be held with a grain of salt let me just tell you right here as should all tests yeah absolutely because this one (laughs) i don't know if you noticed did scale in like way more towards deviance than any other aspect of psychopathy so yeah uh, it, yeah. It's really biased. Um, yeah, definitely. But I'm going to guess right now what you got. Sure. I have it right here. The scale sure. is from one, the lowest, like, uh, psychopathic traits. Right. To uh, five. Right. And um, speaking with you, I'm going to say in the primary characteristics, uh, you have a 1.2. You're low. Yeah. And the secondary, I'm going to say you have like the same, maybe like a 1.1, just a one. Very fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. You're you're close. Oh, yeah. You're very close. Okay. Well, let's look. Yeah. I I actually was surprised, um, (laughs) not by the first part, but by the second part. Oh, yeah. Okay. So So you had for your primary characteristics um, a one, which are like the effective parts of psychopathy so mm-hmm. it's like um the, your empathetic response mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you have a one mm-hmm. yeah so you're a highly empathetic person definitely yeah for your secondary traits which are the antisocial aspects mm-hmm. um and antisocial in this test being like the most archaic version of the word it's it's not yeah. very updated yeah uh you have a 2.3 which is what surprised me it's very surprising but actually now that i think about it mm-hmm. it's a little it makes a little more sense to me because i am definitely introverted and i yeah. think that's related to it in some way oh yeah um and and i per, i would prefer to be alone or home with my significant other than to like be out in public and be around a bunch of people mm-hmm. like to me that's not it takes so much energy for me to be around a, a bunch of people sure yeah. um it and it it feels really nice to just kind of be by myself and um not have to worry so much about i i guess being being social yeah you know that's nice yeah yeah and that's which is you know. weird because i'm a social worker yeah. like I, this is my job is to talk to people all day about mm-hmm. their issues but i think that um, you get enough of that at work though. that's what i'm saying is like uh, by the time i'm done with my day i'm like ready to just like mm-hmm. be alone and not talk to anybody and i think yeah. that's that's maybe why i'm the way i am i don't cool. know yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's kind of cool it's kind of interesting i'm like oh 
that's that's the score I didn't expect. Yeah, now that you know with <laughs> yeah. this, you know, completely arbitrary <laughs> test. I mean, yeah, I thought I also thought it was interesting. It talked about like um, rule following or like not, yeah. like sort of being going against norms or going against rules. Yeah, I have a theory I that I mean, it's one of the hair twenty traits of psychopathy is is boredom. And I think that kind of closely ties into, uh, you know, just breaking rules and doing all that stuff. It's very impulsiveness. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, boredom being a huge trait of psychopaths. Yeah. See, I think for me, um, I don't feel bored easily, but I feel like I like to break rules because um, I don't really like the rules that society has for people. Exactly. I don't think that they're... Yeah. I don't think I don't like to fit into the box that everybody else fits into. <laughs> yeah. Which is why like I'm a vegan and why like I'm an atheist and why my hair is short and not long and <laughs> well, you're, just like weird. What things are you gonna do? That all that stuff's coming into fashion this year. What are I you gonna know. do? God damn it, I'm gonna have to change my whole life. <laughs> In <the> states. <laughs> yeah, but I I mean I think that's why I'm all these weird things that don't fit into the norms of society because yeah. I think that like you just shouldn't have to be mm-hmm. how like everybody else. And those are definitely questions that fall into the antisocial secondary psychopathy mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. part of the scale. Yeah. So yeah, that's probably why you scored so high. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it's boring if if everybody's the same. Oh yeah. Know? I think definitely. society would be so boring if like we're all just the same. Right. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. So you hear that right? Hear that? You heard that right, kids? Uh, I don't know. Rebel. Yeah. 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 Well, I'll say that. I mean, you probably mm. have a social worker image to uphold. <laughs> I, <laughs> no, you know what? It's kind of funny because I think that um, again, like I said, social workers are advocates, and we like really care about social justice and like helping people that are marginalized by society. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times that has to do with like a fine line of like sort of not necessarily rule breaking, but kind of like figuring out how to help people. And like, yeah, I mean, you kind of got a skirt on the edge there, right? Yeah. To find all the nooks and crannies of the system that can right. actually benefit people. Right. And like, you've got to kind of like figure out how to have justice, but also like, how to help people that have serious problems, you know? And, like, that's that's all a balance. Nice. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much, Jess, a rebel social worker with the cause. Thanks. Helping us out here. Thanks. Uh, that was actually very <laughs> insightful. Thank you very much for coming. Yeah, telling. yeah. Thank you so much. It was super fun. I, like, I feel like I could ask you questions all day. <laughs> Just, like, my social work brain is, like, assessment. I want to ask him, like, all these questions about, like, how he became to, like, know that he was this way and all these things. But I think that, like... I will talk to you more about that. Absolutely. Ask whenever you want. Mm -hmm. And everyone Mm -hmm. else, you can hear these answers more about my life and how I figured everything out. Yeah. Uh, Just keep listening to the episodes because it'll all come out. All the dirty laundry, all the sexy details. So exciting. On sexy psychopathy. blog too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay. It's pretty cool. I'm looking forward to reading that too. I guess I'll plug that. Citycollegefilms.com. It's a, a blog kind of proto book i'm writing uh called that sexy kind of crazy (laughs) i love that that's a good title (laughs) thank you yeah uh thank you very much for coming yeah i had a great time thank you for having me no problem cool yep